Um, Channel 10. <laughs> Today's episode of Channel 10 Podcast is brought to you by Channel10Podcast.com. When you go to Channel10Podcast.com, you can check out our back catalog of great episodes. And you can also help support the show by clicking the store link and purchasing some Channel 10 Podcast merchandise. With that, let's start the show. We used to be like, see you then, Channel 10. And we used to think the people would catch on. No, but not if you're not from Queens, <laughs> if you don't got Time Warner or whatever, <laughs> like, well, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yo, what up, man? It's a different channel, son. What up? Hold on, man. What up? Watch the channel, son. Different plane now, man. It's all good. What up? All good, baby. In every hood, son. What up? Yo. CNN. Network Channel 10, it's on again. Street niggas, it's grown men. Bold face, gather your face. Stay in place, yo, crime lace. Cast more beef than Scarface. CNN, Network Channel 10, it's on again. Street niggas, it's grown men. Bold face, gather your face. Stay in place, yo. Call is now being recorded. We're back once again. It's the Channel 10 podcast. Um, I'm here, the almighty AR, alongside. Singar Superior. And we have a very special guest this episode. Uh, we have um, a hip-hop pioneer straight from Alaska by the name of Joker the Bell Bondsman. Say what's up to the people. What's good, y'all? How y'all feeling out there? All right, yep. Um, so, um, I don't know, man. It's, it's really interesting um, because you don't, hear a lot about Alaska and, you know, to even know that there's that much of a hip-hop scene there. Um, and I remember just, you know, seeing your videos back in the day on BET Uncut and everything. So we just kind of wanted to take it from the... Um, and, you know, what was it like for you coming up in Alaska? Um, <clears throat> I'll say it's kind of like... It's pretty much like everywhere else. Except for cold as hell, that's probably the only difference is it's freezing out here, man. In, in the winter time, but the summer times are really the summer times are really nice, nice and warm. We get in the eighties, you know, we scrape the nineties, not all the way to the nineties, but we get up there. Mm. It's the same thing, you know, violence, drugs, gang banging. You know, it go down up here. It's a lot of money up here, so you know, and it's like a gumbo pot, so. You know, the city where I'm from, Anchorage, I'm from the uh, the most majorly populated city in Alaska. So, the culture and the ethnicity here is, like, very diverse. It's a very diverse culture. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of um, in terms of your family, um, how did they end up, you know, settling in Alaska and, like, in uh, Anchorage? Like, uh, how did they get there? Uh, my family migrated up here from the Bay. Mm. I got a lot of roots that stem out in the Oakland area. Out in those, you know, in the in the Bay area is where my family grew up. And I guess, I don't want to say through, like, military somehow, somewhere they migrated up here. Mm. Mm. Now, when it comes to... Um to your early musical influences, um, you know, what were you listening to as you were coming up? Uh, man, I listened to a lot of stuff when I came up. Man, I was influenced heavily by, like, a lot of West Coast, uh, 
grew up on like above the law and living like a hustler album. I think my first rap tape I ever got was a nucleus jam on it. My mom bought bought it for me. And my second one will probably have to be uh LL Cool J, the I'm bad. Mm. My boyfriend Tom let me borrow it and I was just mesmerized because he was cussing on it. I was like, well this dude is actually tape so I was really, you know, taken back by that. And then I got a hold of an NWA tape when I was in like sixth grade. And it was a rap after that. Mm. So um, you started like, oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. What were you saying? Oh, so like after you heard that uh, that NWA tape, that's kind of when you caught the hip hop bug. Yeah, I mean I I always had it because mm-hmm. back in the days, um, it was it was hip hop was always around here. I don't know if you guys remember uh, a group called Club Nouveau or Timex Social Club. They had that hit song called Lean On Me back in the days. And and Jealousy. And uh, they had another song that was big called Why You Treat Me So Bad that everybody resampled like a million different times. Mm. Um, you guys ever heard that song, Why You Treat Me So Bad? Uh, um, I don't think I remember Jealousy. Yeah, because it got that one sample that the Loonies use. I got five on it. Boom, boom, boom. Oh. Boom, boom. The original song of that is called Why You Treat Me So Bad by a group called uh, Timex Social Club. Now, the leader of that group, his name is Jay King. Mm. Like, he was a big influence on early hip-hop, like in the 80s, because he used to come up here and take all the kids from the hood because we got some low-income neighborhoods up here. He would come get us all from the hood and have us like break dancers. So back then, I, you know, I was only like five or six years old. So I was doing all of this active stuff. And that was before he had left and went on to go record that, you know, record that multi-million dollar album and blew up when he left here. Mm-hmm. But I would say that's probably my earliest stages of catching the bug is with being with Jay King and having us performing at like real large venues back then. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so at these venues, were you opening up for like different artists, or was it um, what, what kind of like venues was it? Shit, I remember we opened up for the uh, Pointer Sisters. I remember the Lakers came up here and played an ex- exhibition game in like '84. He had us dancing in the halftime show at that. He was just real active in the community and having kids doing all kind of positive and constructive things. And then mm-hmm. when he left, there was kind of like a void. And then that's when that that's when that crap kicked in and all that dope kicked in. And, and, and without a, a strong father figure and, and a role model like that. Shit, we all just started, you know, doing what we did because he had us breakdancing. That this is back in the when breakdancing was was at its uh at its height. Mm. Shit, once he mm. left, man, dude, we everybody just kind of went down that path. It, you know, it was a a choice of which direction you're gonna take. Mm. A mm. lot of us went down that one, that, that wrong one. Mm. And so, and so with him, like, kind of leaving, um, 
is this when is this like the the part when like people started getting more interested in like in doing hip hop music? Um, nah, in your area. Nah, hell no. Nah. Oh, back okay. then, it was only it was for somebody to have a studio. Back then, was like like a dinosaur, man. <laughs> it's people just now started having studio. Even when I was doing my videos, then. Nobody had studios. You could count the number of actual studios that you could record good quality music on on one hand. It's just now people are, with these laptops and all of this technology, people are just now starting to have access and record all this music and stuff. So studios up here were hard to come by until about, I would say studios were hard to come by until about 2000 and it was after I got locked up. So I had to say 2000 and, uh, maybe nine, two thousand and ten, then everybody had mm. a lab. Mm. Mm. Now, um I was curious just, you know, being, you know, so far away from um, I guess you call them the lower forty eight, um, especially during that time when um, you know, you know, pre internet and everything, um, and just looking at, you know, some of your interviews and stuff, my question was like, how did you know um, like to get the equipment to start, you know, building and doing your own thing like that. Well, when I was when I was in elementary school, there was a group. I think I might have been in like sixth grade. There was a group called PBL, prohibited by law. Mm -hmm. um, you know, these cats were some older cats. These damn near grown men. I'm only like 11, 12 years old, and I, I really wanted to be a part of the group. You know, some of them dudes were some real get-money dudes, like street dude niggas, niggas getting real money. But back then, I was so young and shit, so I auditioned as a dancer, and they let me be like a backup dancer, so I would get to go with them to actually to their studios. They recorded a couple of various places, and eventually they bought some equipment for this producer named Julio. Uh who was pretty much the Dr. Dre of Alaska. Because he was the only one back in, like, in, like, 86, 87. He had the uh, ETS-16 Plus with the sampler. And, man, you talking about knowing how to chop them samples, boy. That, knew, that dude knew how to chop samples up so cold. So mm. I would just be around them learning and learning and watching what they were doing and, watching the mistakes they made and I kind of just had an idea or a grasp of what what needed to be done so by the time like when I got older one of the the older dudes in the group um I was out in the bay visiting my family and I had called him to come pick me up because he was from the bay too so he just happened to be out there and when I went over to his house he had a you know he had a bunch of equipment and shit and he didn't really know how to use it he just had the money, so he was just buying the shit. And I seen he had an ASR-10. And I was like, and I needed some beats. So back then, you know, nobody really had studios. Nobody was really making beats. And I was just so fucking thirsty that I'm like, yo, let me go in here and get on this shit and make a beat. He like, man, go ahead, man. I'm on some other stuff. I'm on some family time. You can go in there and mess around all you want. So I went in there and literally the first time I hopped on that ASR-10, I was so determined and thirsty that I made a beat on that motherfucker, and that shit was banging. And I'm like, man, 
So he comes in the room. It's like three, four hours later, and he hear it. He looking at me like, what the fuck? Like, yo, you literally just sit here and make it? I'm like, yeah, man. I need some beats, man. If I got to sit down and get on this thing and make me a beat, I'm going to make it myself. I'm like, yo, show me how to record this shit so I can have a beat and go back and work on it. He looking at me like, man, I don't I ain't got no idea how to even try to take the beat. He just had the equipment. So I'm like, damn. So I, when I got home, and this was before I started hustling, real tough. Mm. I was just nickel and diamond and shit. So when I got home, I'm like, yo, mom. I need this ASR-10. If you get me this, it's going to keep me off the streets, and I'm going to be, and this is, this is going to be the best investment you could ever make in me. So my mom and my stepdad went and spent like 2500 on and bought me an ASR-10. I was in like, I must have been in probably like 15 years old, 14 or 15. They bought me an ASR-10. So then I took that thing downstairs in the basement, and that's all I did all night was training myself how to use it, how to work the ASR-10, went and bought a four-track. So then I still didn't really know, like, not too much about the business aspects, but that was pretty much how I began producing. And then I got a little bit, and then by the time I turned, like, 16, 17, I started hustling on my own, so it was like, I had a general idea and a concept of what it was needed to create a studio. So, you know, by the time I was 18, I was playing with 20, 30 racks. So it wasn't nothing for me to go into the music store and, and, and drop, you know what I'm saying, five bands. And, you know, give me this, give me that, give me that. You know what I'm saying? So I always had one up because... I, I was around, I've been around, I had been around it so long and watched other people do it, so I kind of had an idea of what was needed to uh, create music. Mm -hmm. mm. Now, um, now, when you were, like, you know, visiting your family out in the Bay, uh, what kinds of music were you bringing back to Alaska, you know, to to uh, to spread throughout, you know, your community and everything like that? Man... By the time I went out to Bay, I was already influenced by, like, a lot of West Coast music. So I, I was listening to, like, uh, Black Caesar. I would walk over to the uh, Eastmont Mall and um, just go in there and buy tapes. I think I bought Spice One. Uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't really on no buying a, like, a whole lot of music, but I would go over there and buy me a couple tapes. It would be some, some local stuff. I think the only two tapes I bought out there was like this guy named Black Caesar and uh, Spice One, hmm. American hmm. Nightmare. Hmm. Now, um, well, on the radio, or you just you just kind of just took it and ran with it, with you know what you what you had heard from the tapes and everything. Would you say that again. Like, um, was there hip hop? Um, hip-hop music being played on the radio um, out there at that time, or um, were oh, you just yeah. more so... Inf mm. Yeah, man, I stayed. That's all we did. Is, I don't know if you guys seen my animated series. Have you guys seen Roach and Reefer? Yeah. Yeah, we checked out the uh, first episode of that. Yeah, that's pretty much what we did. Sit, we just sit there and watch BET all day. Um, we had mm. plenty of underground DJs. We had Reggie Ward, um... Marvel Johnson, rest in peace. These were the guys that 
had actual radio shows on, on, on large radio stations that played everything except for the top 40. So mm. a lot of that, I, and then like Marvell uh, Johnson, when we were in elementary, he would say, some of the kids, he would say, you guys can come up here and answer the phones and you can read dedications on the air. So as little kids, that meant a lot to us for Marvell because, you know, we, niggas is 11 years old and he letting us come to the radio station and we answering the phone, girls is calling, then he let us get on the air and read the dedications and then we would go in the back room where uh, all the records would be and the labels would send them all the promos so we were seeing all of the same records that was being released in New York and Los Angeles and all of this because they would send them up here to the radio station as promos. So we would go in the extra studio booths back there that because where they were working, it was extra different. It was multiple different recording studios. So we would go on one of them and hop on the uh, the record players and just listen to the records and be like, yo, like it was, it was just it was just real for me to be so young and. and to be able to uh, experience that with Marvell Johnson, who's a legend and a pillar in the uh, hip hop community up here in Atlanta. Mm. Mm. That's dope. Now, now when you um, you know first started buying equipment and everything, um, was that like with you getting like deeper into the uh, hustling game and kind of you know branching off on your own with that? Um, was it kind of always with the intention of, um, you know, building up the studio and building up everything for your rap career? Yep, definitely was. That was the whole thing was to buy equipment, release the album, and make the transition from the street life into the music industry. That was my whole goal and, and ambition at the time. Mm. Now, for your um, first album, um, like, or, or like the first songs that you um, recorded and put it out, um, like how you were saying, you didn't have, um, I guess, music industry type experience first coming into it. So, like, what was your mindset in terms of, you know, putting together your first couple projects and, you know, actually getting them out to people? Man, you know what? One of my... The first song I ever recorded was called The Outcast, That Villain, and I did it in mm -hmm. one take. And the one saying, the dude I was telling you guys about that was like the leader of like PBL that had the studio equipment in the bay. He had another studio up here. So one day me and uh, my homeboy went over there because he didn't know how to work none of that damn equipment. He just had it. So we went over there, and my boy knew how to work it all, one of my homies. So we went in there and he grabbed the sample, chopped it up real quick. I passed out sleep. He woke me up about two hours later and put a beat on it and this shit was knocking. Had a sample, the drums. I'm like, oh, I'm like, yeah. So I had a song I had written. He was like, yo, because at that point we didn't keep my KJ didn't have a multi-track recorder. All he had was like some keyboards, some drum machines and a DAT machine. So we had to record the whole song in one take straight to that. So he's like, yo, you can't mess this up. You got to run this thing all the way through, hooks, everything. 
you got one take, I'm going to be standing over your shoulder. You know what I'm saying? Hype, man. I'm like, all right. Let's do it, man. I'm hungry. So we recorded my first song, which was that outcast, that villain. I wish I still had a cow. It, it's cheesy, though. I, I wouldn't even want to let nobody hear that. But it was, <laughs> it was, that was my first song. And then I'll probably say my second song that I did, I actually still have that. And I'll give it to y'all so y'all can hear a copy of it. Nobody's ever heard it, though. But oh, this wow. song, I ain't going to lie. That, this one is actually fire, though. I did it on a four track. It's called Fucking Around With My Mind. And I and I and I actually produced the beat, and my homeboy came in and put a couple a little bit of chords on it just to like add some seasoning on it. And this I ain't gonna lie, that's that. Sl- I mean, it might it, it even knock today. Hmm. Now, um, also during this time, were you go were you uh was your stage name Joker the Bell Bondsman, or were you going um or, or were you going as someone else during this time, or with, with a different name or other? Um, I was still just being called Joker. Joker the Bell Bonds but didn't come to like like ninety six. Ninety five, ninety six. Mm. What's the uh what's the background behind your name? Um, I had always been Joker since I was a little kid in PBL back in the uh eighties and then around ninety five 94, 95, I linked up with my boy named Kenai, and me and him started a label. And um, me and Kenai was having a lot of money, man. And we was we was really out here eating in these streets. And um, mm-hmm. one day, there's a bell bondsman here called Fred the Bell Bondsman. He's a millionaire. He's an old, I don't even know if he's alive, but Fred is like real grimy. He got everybody's money. He, he was like pretty much the only bail bondsman in Alaska so you could only imagine him capitalizing off of the market so one day we called him we was just sitting in this at the crib high as shit we like I got everybody money man we should talk to Fred and tell him you know he needs to invest to start working on his music and this would be an excellent outlet for Fred so we like yeah I'm like you know what I'm finna call him so I call him Fred I'm like Fred what's good he like what's up what's up somebody in jail what's, what's popping I'm like, nah, Fred, ain't nobody in trouble, man. Listen, man, we, we starting this label. We about to do this music. Fred, man, we trying to fuck with you, bro. You need to mess with some. You need to mess with us, bro, because this is about to be big. Man, Fred was like, what? Like, man, I don't do no charity for no y'all. Like, y'all dudes are some clowns. I don't do no charity. Mm. Also, ask him to give y'all some money. And nah, I ain't messing with y'all. What the fuck y'all calling me for? And at the time, it, it, we wasn't broke. We had money. But we was just, but we ain't had no Fred money, though. Mm-hmm. Fred had the millions. So, so mm-hmm. when I hung up the phone, I was in my body. I'm like, man, this man, this old ass, I should whoop, whoop his old ass. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know what? I, I'm like, man, I'm finna be the Bell Bonds. No, that's my name. I'm finna be, I'm calling myself Joker, the Bell Bonds. I was clowning. I was high. <laughs> I was off some of that perk. I said, yeah, Joker the Bell Bonds. When I'm taking his name, and that's what I'm riding with. And my mm-hmm. boy Kenai was like, yo, that shit is crazy. You should stick with it. I ain't never heard that shit. I'm like, for really? That, really th-? He's like, yo, listen, that shit is just, that shit is just stupid, yo. Joker the Bell Bonds just sounds crazy. And I'm like, you know what? 
and, and then ever since then, I just, I just, I just rolled with it. Mm. And it just, mm. and it just out because it's like a hard name to forget because it's just like it just sounds crazy. It just sounds damn near <laughs> stupid. Like go for the bell, but like what the fuck? But you can remember it. Like even if you forget it, and somebody says like, "Man, that one nigga, child, what's the guy? the joke the best." You still got some kind of grasp of like, okay, Joker the Bell Boy, yeah, you know it sticks out. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we definitely had that experience. Yeah, yeah, I remember, you know, like sitting sitting around and you know my friends like watching this shit and we're like, what, like where the fuck does nigga's name come from? <laughs> We've always tried to figure that out, like where, like, but now, <laughs> now we finally know. <laughs> and um, yeah. and and I reckon um, so this is also where you know I guess your your history of you know becoming like a cold caller comes from, right? Yeah, hmm. I mastered the art of the cold call. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people oh. don't know about that cold call. That they're afraid to get denied. You mm. got to go through 99 no's yeah. before you get your yes. Mm. Mm. Did you have any other memorable no's? Yeah, I, I got told no all the time. I always get told mm. no. I, mm. I don't, but it don't hurt my feelings. Mm. Mm. I'm so more, I'm more so, if you tell me no, that's cool, but now you know who I am. Cause you gonna hear about me? Mm-hmm. And you gonna be like, damn, you know what? That I remember him. Yeah, you told me no. Look at me now. <laughs> mm. So did you um did you reach out to anyone else like it within um your community to try to invest in in what you were doing? Hell no, man. Alaska hip hop is the most cheapest, pessimistic, non-believable. I'm going to tell you something about Alaska mm. and the music scene. No, these are the, these dudes is cheap, man. Nobody in Anchorage wants to spend money to make it in the industry because they don't believe they can make it. Mm. Huh? I just stepped into my boy uh, Krimsky's house. Krimsky is the, the number one music video editor in Alaska, so I want to make sure I get him a plug. When you guys go look online, type up Krimsky. And you'll be able to see all of the Alaskan hip hop videos. He's like the hype Williams of Alaska right now. Mm. All right. I just wanted to throw that in there real quick. <laughs> I'm not out. <laughs> all right. So, like, when you first started off um, and you started your own label, um, what was, like, the thinking behind that, like, um, in terms of, you know, just organizing everything and getting it together and, like, when you first started doing all your videos and all that? Um, well, when I branched off away from PBL, me and uh, mm-hmm. Kena, the one I was telling you about, we was running the streets and we was always talking about, man, we're going to get together and do some music and <laughs> start a label. And we finally did. We came out with uh, Inlet City Records which was, it was me and him as a, as a joint label, and that's the label that I released my first project on, which was Gather Near Jokers here. And that was 97, right? 
Yup, that was like, yep, 96, 97. Alright, um, well, well, what was, uh, the, uh, what's the story behind the artwork for that, uh, that cover? Man. Back then, it was hard to even get, find somebody in locally that could do artwork. So, mm. damn, that shot looked good. It was hard to find somebody that does artwork, so I went to this comic store. I don't know why I didn't just go to my cousin, who's a, who's an artist, but I just went into this comic store and was like, yo, I need somebody to draw an album cover for this, this, and he was like, I do it. So I'm like, all right. I didn't have too many options, so I'm like, can you draw this? He was like, yep. Okay, well, then that's going to be my album cover. Hmm. I mean, yeah, like you're, like, you're, it looks, it looks like you're about to, like, to, to jump off the wall to go and, like, whip Fred the Bell Bondsman's ass or something. <laughs> 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 that's dope though so um so like your first albums and everything um how did you uh distribute them and how did you uh get them out there my first album i just pushed it locally it didn't have any distribution because mm-hmm. i was just trying to get my feet wet i'd always wanted to put out an album so it's more so just like actually get it out and I just pushed it like I went into all the music stores and did consignments and stuff like that. Mm. Now, um, I noticed in like in your in in your uh, your thank you notes, you what uh, you thank E forty. Um, and so I was wanting to know, like, were you listening to like a lot of E forty during that time when you were making this album? Yeah, E forty was definitely a big pillar in my career. I've been listening to E forty since I was in like sixth grade. Mm. I didn't even know him. I just gave him a shout out because he was so influential to my 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 craft and my hustle and and, and my grind and his music. Like even back then when I was in sixth grade and he was rapping about going federal, and I was listening to it and I'm like, yo, what the what the hell is this? I don't know what he's talking about, but this shit sounds hard. And here, little do I know, twenty years later, I went federal. Mm. Um. And um, uh, what's the background behind having like these two different sides? You know, this aggravated side, and then like the relaxed side of these of this album. I don't know, man. You know, when when you young and you first doing your album, you just be you just got all the ideas. And I I don't I don't really. I'm gonna be honest. I thank God and, and, and because I was able to release that album, and a lot of people can't do records and put them out, but. The mindset that I was in, because I was really young, I was like 18 years old, and I had a lot of money, and I had a lot going on for myself, so you couldn't really, I couldn't take any constructive criticism, and you couldn't tell me anything about my music, because I didn't care what you had to say. I'm paying for this. I bought my equipment, I'm paying for the pressure, so there's nothing you can tell me about my music, and that was kind of like the wrong demeanor to have, because a lot of that stuff on that well not a lot of it but some of the songs on there was were straight ass and if i were to just listen and took some constructive criticism i think that album could have been more monumental mm. um and you know I, I i don't want to fast forward you know too too far but um i was curious to know like um because it's interesting how you have like these two different sides for um for you know, gather near joke is here, and then I, and then you come out with with a bipolar, and I think what two thousand four, 
And I kind of see kind of like the same thing. Like, you know, you kind of have these two different sides and bipolar too, the same way that you do with, um, with your first album. Was that like a, um, was that like a planned thing or it just happened that way? No, it just happened that way. I mean, between bipolar and my first album, though, you know, it's about, I probably put out like five, damn near five or six albums in between the two. Mm-hmm. But, I don't, I don't know if there if there is a change or a difference. I I couldn't I couldn't. Uh, if there, I mean, if there's similarities, I couldn't tell you. I really couldn't tell you. But bipolar, I, it was a good album because I took my time. I had a lot of people working with me. There was a lot of different writers with me on that album, and um, I was more open to suggestion on that album. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. and I wasn't doing too much searching. A lot of the other albums, I was trying to search. I was searching like what. Where do I want to be at lyrically? Who do I want to sound like? I was still looking. I was on a on a never ending journey of trying to uh, um, figure out my cadence mm-hmm. on the mic. Hmm. At at what point um, did people locally like really start taking notice and? Um, you know, at what point did you really start to, like, feel the impact of the buzz? It, I mean, people always knew it because I, I've always been doing music and I was always releasing albums. I don't think nobody really took it seriously until mm-hmm. they seen me on the box. And then I had a joint that was on HBO Zone. But um, I'd, be, I'd be naive not to say that the, the big changes when they see me on BET. Because if you don't, if, I don't know if you guys noticed or not, but in 1999, BET, I had cold called BET, and they came up to Anchorage and did a story on hip hop in Alaska. And a big ass fight broke out. It was a riot. Somebody got shot, and uh, they aired all of this on television. So <laughs> this was like. Like, this is, like, the introduction to where people see it. I mean, like, a lot of mainstream people knew it, Nelly, and when these guys were coming to Alaska, they would ask about me, and they'd be like, yo, I remember seeing you on, uh, you guys fighting and stuff on on, on, <laughs> on that episode of BET, because they aired it, like, three times. Mm-hmm. So, um, oh. oh, my bad. No, I want you go ahead. Oh, um... What um? Well, I was gonna ask. Well, what song did you have on the, on the box? It was a song called "Time Goes By." Oh, okay. Yeah, that was the first video I ever shot. How'd you end up getting it on the box? Um, yeah, I don't even remember how I got it on the box. Somehow, some way, I found out and got a hold of the corporate office or. Some way I, I found out who where it was and I called somebody and got the information of how to get my video submitted to the box and I turned it into them and they accepted it. Okay. Damn. I mean, <laughs> I mean, like, what, like, what is your presentation when you like go into cold calling people, different organizations and everything like that? Um. So you got you got me about to give away my game, man. This is a million dollar game. <laughs> uh, I think it's it's being very modest, very thankful, and um, the key to anybody that you want to get in contact with is always going to be be the gatekeeper 
or the receptionist. Nobody knows more than what's going on in the business or the establishment than the receptionist that works at the front desk. Mm. So me pride myself on being somebody that's a conversationalist. Um, I always want to try to stroke the receptionist because if you're nice to them and they like you because your first impression is everything, they can always point you in the right direction. For example, what, you know, this is Sean. I'm calling from Anchorage, Alaska with the International Associates Network. And I know this is not the proper way for me to do this, and I know this is not protocol, but I've tried every resource I could possible, and this is my last one, and I really, 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 really need your help, and I will be so thankful if you could help me out with this. Boom. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's just, and then, you know, usually they're like, well, well, you know, Kreinsky, he's the, um, don't tell anybody I told you this, but... And if you say something, I'm going to deny it. But Crunch is the one who, I can get his email for you, but you didn't get it from me. You know, you'd be surprised. And then and then always follow it up with a, uh, I'll call back and be like, listen, what you did for me was huge. I mean, I cannot thank you enough for, for what you've done and woo 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 and just really show that appreciation. And, that, and it makes them feel good. I'll tell them, hey, I might even put some extra baking soda on it and be like, listen, when you did that for me, it turned into this, 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 and that. Mm-hmm. So now they like that. That makes them feel like, you know, I'm, they're just the receptionist. They, they're, they're being paid just as a receptionist at the front desk. But what the world doesn't know that this person sees every single... Bill Gates walks past her every morning in the office to go to his, his desk. Steve Jobs walks by her every morning. She has access to Steve Jobs' itinerary and, and knows how he likes his coffee. Knows, you know, <laughs> very vital and pivotal information that the, the average person wouldn't, you know, mm-hmm. think to try to, uh, try to get from him. Mm-hmm. And, and as I was in uh, prison, I learned what it was actually called. It's actually called social engineering. Are you guys familiar with that? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Social engineering. Mm-hmm. That's um, dope. Like, you had that insight, you know, like, you know, very early on. And, like, how you were saying, like, with your first album... It was like you kind of like had a lot of money. You weren't taking a lot of um, advice or, you know, constructive criticism from people. And then going into, you know, from there until, you know, um, the uh, album, you know, later on, uh, we were taking the uh, constructive criticism. Like, was that like just an evolution of you as a person and what kind of influenced that? started surrounding myself with, with, with people that um, I would say I don't know just I, I guess with age you just kind of get a little bit more susceptible I got my friend Phenom I grew up with who, who in my personal opinion was one of the best rappers that ever come out of Alaska but he just doesn't really have that, that, that push like how he used to when we were like little kids 
and he used to, he'll tell me like, man, that shit is garbage. And he's so hard, I got, I got to listen because he's a way better rapper than me. So if he tells me like, he'll be like, nah. Sometimes I wouldn't listen to him. I'd be like, man, fuck, I'm going to say this shit anyway. And then I listen <laughs> to it like a year later, but like, that shit was so corny. What I just said, like, there, yeah, I should have listened to him. But I think it's just surrounding yourself with people that are honest and upfront mm. with, with, with the material. Mm. Now, um, you know, although you know, like you, like you know, you you have a certain feeling about your first album. You know, if you, uh, I don't, I'm not sure if you ever looked, but I'm sure you probably have. You know, if you look on eBay and other, um, you know, different, you know, uh, record marketplaces for kind of like, you know, rare records, you know, a lot of your stuff goes for $100. Oh, for real? Yeah. I need to get yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. So I'm used to like. I mean, I think. Um, I think I saw the cassette of Joker uh, gathering near Joker's here on. Um, I think Discogs, and it was going for like, um, like sixty five. That CD's going this because it came out on a CD, right? CD's going for like a hundred or something like that. Yeah, I released it on cassette and CD. Hmm. Yeah, I'm I mean, expensive. if you just go, yeah, oh, okay. oh, I was gonna say if you just go on eBay and you know look up your name, uh, you have in real life volume one. That's going for 60 um and then you have a uh, little bomber my third wish that's going for 250 man get the fuck out of here <laughs> i'm looking <laughs> at it right now <laughs> little bomber my third wish that thing going for very rare i will repress the thing right now it's going for 250 dollars right now on ebay <laughs> Wow. I mean, like, um, I, I mean, I was, I was. Hey, that's I was, crazy. Currency just pulled it up as soon as you guys said that shit going for two fifty. I'm finna go to the house right now and I'm finna step on their toes. I got it for two hundred. I mean, <laughs> man, Joker. Like, I mean, I was listening to uh, to Joker's here on YouTube, some of the songs on there, and I was going through the comments. And this one dude said, you know, like, oh shit, I had this, you know, shit back in the day. I wish I still had it. I'll kill the personal ticket from me or some shit like that. Yeah, <laughs> man, you'd be surprised. <laughs> yeah, I did not know um, the same going for two fifty. Um, but uh, but so so this is like ninety seven, and you know, so you so you, you so you um you release it on cassette and CD. Um, how uh expensive was it to release it on CD during that time? Um, I, I can't remember, man. Disc makers, you know, I, I disc makers wasn't too bad. Mm. It was probably like, uh, man, that's so long ago, bro. I, I couldn't even tell you. Probably uh. you know, 1500 4000 CD or something like that. And you, and you were like selling these straight off the trunk? Yeah, we was giving them away. We was traveling mm. around selling them and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, what equipment were you were you using to us uh, to make these beats? Uh, man, ASR ten, the Tascam B A thirty eight. I had the big uh, Mackie twenty four twenty four eight bus uh, mixing machine, MPC two thousand, uh, MR seventy six, 
couple of them little small little groove box machines. You know, I, I man, I make anything work, man. You give me a table and some toothpicks, and I'm gonna have you a beat, man. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, so I, I mentioned, I mean, I saw like in one of your interviews that you mentioned like the MPC. So, do you see yourself as like an MPC man nowadays, or like more of an ARS ARS ten type of person, or like you know, like what's your uh, weapon of choice nowadays when it comes to making beats? Man, I, I just when I got before I got locked up, I was using uh, Logic, I think Logic Express or Logic Pro or something like that. But I really, mm. I just mm. got out of jail in February, so I haven't really been making any music. I just I don't have time because I'm working three jobs right now. So I just I go holler at Raw Beats and I do a lot of my stuff outsourced right now until I can actually get acclimated, and I'll probably get back into making beats again at a later time. Uh, okay. But right now I'm not really doing any producing. I just Nah, I don't have the time for it right now. Do you ever get like that urge to make a beat every now and again or something like that? Or is it more like just like, you know, just writing and making like, you know, and making the song? Nah, because it's like riding a bike for me. So it ain't gonna, once I, once I, uh, get to some equipment. Like I, I, I made a beat the other day in my garage. I got my mm. old, some old software and I put some a little something together. I gotta go back and listen to mm-hmm. it and see if it's sound the way it's supposed to. But yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I do kind of miss it, but I know in good time and due time, I'm gonna be gonna be making millions of beats. Yeah, let me see that. Let that play. Huh? Let that play. Let me see that. So, like, um, I guess. Once you uh, started making those cold calls and BET started to uh, pay attention and everything like that, um, what was it like when you first uh, found out that you were going to be added to uh, BET Uncut? Um, it was surreal, man. I couldn't. I, it was just unbelievable. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't even have the words for it. First night mm-hmm. I seen it air, it was crazy. It was just like... I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I wasn't really ready for it because I had been denied so many times before. I thought I was going to get denied again, but I just never, I just, every time they denied me, I was like, all right, I'm going to hit y'all with another one. Give me a minute. They denied that one. I was like, all right, I'm going to hit y'all with another one. Give me a minute. And finally, my boy, too, my boy, too, my boss was like, listen, man, you keep shooting us all of these damn videos. He's like, we got a new show coming out called Uncut. This is what the format is. It needs to be like this, 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 and that. And I'm like, all right. So that's when I had wrote that song, Let Me See Your Ass Drop. Uh-huh. I wrote, I made the beat and I wrote the chorus. And I said, Little Bomber, write something for this. He was like, all right. So he banged out his verse real quick. And I shot the video on a 16 millimeter film for like a grand. And, um,. Uh-huh. I said it to BT, knowing that it was going to be denied again because this was like my third try. And then my boy, when I hit him up, he was like, yo, this is perfect. This is exactly what we're looking for. I was like, what? Mm-hmm. Are you serious? He was like, yes, this is perfect. It's going to air on this date. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, shit. So, you know, the rest was history. Mm-hmm. And so um, and so when when that song aired, well, I guess when that video aired, rather, um, were you uh, were you like actively trying to create bipolar, or you were just like trying to just make songs at this time? You weren't like trying to make an album. No, I was just making music. Okay. I wasn't. 
I wasn't really uh Nah, somebody else's phone. Nah, I wasn't really uh trying to I was just making music. I've had several different distribution deals, so Mm-hmm. So, um, once that that video first aired and everything, how how did everything change after that? Well, uh, I, I think I was taking a lot more seriously. I think it made a lot of people in Alaska uncomfortable because a lot of people hated on me and didn't really thought my stuff was garbage. But to see it nationally syndicated in uh, millions and millions of views. The people that were close to me were excited, and and it made the haters uncomfortable. What mm-hmm. uh. was uh, 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 this? Is my last time mentioning him, though. But uh, was Fred the Bell Bondsman? Did he? Did you ever get a chance to, like see him after? Um, you no, know, during this time. Um, yeah, I think I might have said something to him, but Fred is on a whole other level, man. Fred got them 80, 80s millions from back in the eighties, mm-hmm. so he, you know, he ain't even. That's that's peanuts to an elephant to Fred. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Mm. Now on bipolar, um, you know, you had a couple big uh features on there and everything. How did those come into fruition? Um, huh? I just had yeah, I had uh freeway on there. I had seen it when right. I was out of Philly. Me and Max was out of Philly. And we seen Freeway, and I just, I think we seen him at the uh, Mitchell's and Nest store. And I just talked to him, and was like, yo, what's up? We want to get you on some music. He was like, all right. And I didn't, and uh, I think that, uh, I think I might have not got it. Something happened when we didn't link up when we were supposed to. So I reached out to my boy at Rockefeller, because at the time I was messing with Rockefeller on the, on the, um, on the on the under, I was kind of messing with Rockefeller Records real tough. Um, one of the A and R's, Lenny Santiago, is a real good. Oh, Lenny S, yeah, yeah, Lenny S, that's my boy. So he was like, "Man, look, I'm gonna hook you up with somebody that uh, that works with Freeway, so you can get that song done." So he put that together for me. That's what's up. So, um, how how did you, um how did you uh, come across Busy Bone? Uh, he got a he had a cousin up here that um, was in the studio with me and told me he can link me up with him. And I was just like, whenever you're with him, I'll give give me a call. And if my money's right, I'll get it worse for him. So he just hit me up like two or three months later and uh, reached out to me. And, I, you know, I had a little bit of money, so I gave him the song and, and put the video together and went out to Cleveland and shot it. And, you know, the rest is history. Mm-hmm. Um, So... Um, so who came, so, so how, how did that song, like, come about, like, like period, like, the Ziploc Bag song? I just made the beat, and I sent Busy Bone, like, 10 different beats, and, uh, he sent it back to me with the hook and the verse on it, and, and that's how that song came about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's interesting, you know, like, looking at, um, and I'm, I, guess, I guess I mentioned this earlier, but, you know, looking at, uh, bipolar and everything like that and it seems like you know you were, you were kind of going through like a maybe like a dark period like you know, just based on like the Ziploc bag song and like in other, in other songs on that album um yeah. and you know like I mean like uh, I mean if you don't mind you know saying like you know what, like what were you going through um, during that time 
Well, that made that album kind of dark. Alaska's gonna be, you're gonna get damn near eight months of darkness out of the year, so, you know, it, you know, our sunshine and sunny days are limited, so it's just probably, it was probably just a reflection of my mood and the mm -hmm. environment at the time. Mm -hmm. mm. I mean, yeah, you know, think, I mean, thinking about, but I mean, like all the out, out of all the uh, the uncut videos, the BC uncut videos. I mean, you know, they tend to be happy songs. And you know, when that came on, ironically enough, it can't, you know, it, it uh, ended up being one of the more popular videos on BC uncut. And it's a it's a dark ass song. <laughs> yeah, I was busy busy wrote that bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, now, um, after that, because you did speak on the uh, hate, I'm sure after you had like the, uh, you, you know, the album with the features and everything like that, and you know your music, you know, started to evolve and get better and everything like that. Um, how did the overall um, Alaska community, um, I guess, react when you kept having more and more success? Uh, I don't think they really knew how to. I don't, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't think. I don't know. I don't mm -hmm. think they really knew how to accept it because it hadn't really been done before. Mm -hmm. But I was already. I, it's not like I wasn't already out there getting it and doing it, and this just happened overnight. I'd always been active in everywhere, and everybody already knew me even before that happened. So, you mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. Um, so like, you know, oh, oh my bad. Oh. Um, so when you, uh, you know, when you start getting this buzz, uh, from BET Uncut, did you start, you know, going to, uh, to, to different states, you know, traveling and doing shows and everything like that? Yeah. I, I always frequented everywhere. New York, Miami. I was always mm. going to travel. Mm. Mm. Yeah. But hey, I'm in like I'm. Is there? Can we got a couple more questions y'all could ask me? Because I'm like right in the middle of an editing session, so and we got to get okay. ready to about new video. So if you got a couple more pivotal questions, let's try to knock them out real quick. All right. Well, okay. um, all right. Well, I mean, well, I have one that I, I just been, and I'm, I'm pretty sure you get, you get this all the time. But um, uh, what's going on with the un, with the unedited version of um of Money in the Ziploc bag? I got it. I'm just trying to figure out when I want to release it or how. Since a lot of people have been bugging me for it, I, mm -hmm. I just want to make sure I make some money off of it before somebody bootlegs it and pirates it. So, right, right. That I'm makes just sense. Gonna, uh, <laughs> what? I am going to release now, it, but I just don't know when. Okay. Now, um, I guess, you know, during this whole time of you um, doing music, um, and then still kind of being involved in, I guess, the street life and everything. Um, you know, at some point you did get uh, jammed up. And like you said, you just recently got released in February. Um, can you speak, like, to a little bit, um, you know, with the time that we have left, um, in regards to, you know, just that whole experience and, you know, how you were able to, like, hold on and maintain through that whole period? Um, well, in 2007, I was indicted on uh, federal drug trafficking charges and sentenced to uh, 10 years in federal prison. Um, 
it was just, you know, it was a, it was a, a trying time for me. But, um, you know, I just used it to try to better myself and try to learn as much as I could about music theory. And I wrote a bunch of movies and a bunch of books and, you know, learned how to play the guitar and, and just actually really learned how to play the piano, really. I just used it all to try to benefit myself for when I was uh, going to be released. So I lucked up and actually got to take this uh, 500-hour drug program that knocked anywhere from like two years off your sentence if you su uh, successfully completed it in the prison. So I got like a year and a half off my sentence once I, once I graduated from that drug program. So that was a blessing for me, too. Mm -hmm. Um. So, um, so I, I was looking at one of your vlogs, and you mentioned that you wrote twenty movies and six books um, while incarcerated. So, um, are we going to see any of these soon, or are you working on trying to get those out? Yeah, that's gonna. All, I'm gonna. I'm gonna be doing a press release here, probably in the next couple mm -hmm. of weeks for my whole release roster for 2016. So you're gonna see movies, you're gonna see books, you're gonna see animated series. Uh, we got a clothing line coming out. I'm working on trying to ink a deal for uh, an Alaskan premium vodka uh, crafted from glacier water. So you're going to see a lot of new things for 2016. Oh, that's dope. That's dope. And it's good to see that you, you know, kind of came out and kind of hit the ground running because I know that you mentioned, um, you know, when it comes to production and everything and, you know, you're still trying to get acclimated and everything. But, um, you know, it's good to see that you're you're out here making moves and everything like that still. Um, so definitely uh, kudos to you to taking that opportunity to, um, you know, really advance yourself and, you know, learn some things so that you can come back stronger and harder than ever. Um, what's, um, when you, uh, I guess when you came out and you looked at the scene, what's it looking like now and, like, where do you see yourself in it? Um, I just, I, uh, I, I can't really, I'm not really focused on where I see myself right in the scene. I'm just really pretty much focused on trying to do what I do best. Um, and I see mm -hmm. the, the music scene flourish now. I went from a couple people having studios and now everybody's having studios and doing videos. So I still get a lot, a lot of love and a lot of respect from the people who know what I've done. So I just try to stay humble and embrace it and just, Instead of focusing on anybody else, I try to put my horse blinders on and, and, and put my foot on the gas. Uh. Mm -hmm. Cool. And um, and so and like a, a lot of like things that you're doing, these are all affiliated with um the International Associate Network. Yes, sir. They definitely are. That's going to cool. be the, the parent company. A lot of the smaller things are like divisions under that branch. Cool. That's what's up. That's what's up. And um. Uh, I guess to uh, just wrap it up and everything, um, you know, how does it feel being uh, being recognized as a pioneer for hip hop in your area, and uh, just influencing so many people to kind of develop and do their own thing? Um, you say how? Will you say that again? Well, I was just saying, like, you know, um. Like, how does it feel, you know, at this point being recognized as like a pioneer in your field and uh, in your area for hip hop um, and, 
you know, just kind of being an influence for other people to kind of do their own thing. Um, and like, you know, have people talk about it. It's a blessing. I say all the glory, mm-hmm. glory and prayers go to God first before I get anything myself. Cause without him, I wouldn't be able to do none of the things that I'm doing. Mm. Well, that's yeah. what's good, man. Well, we definitely appreciate uh, you taking the time out to speak to us, man. Um, you know, um, and you know, we definitely look forward to everything that you have uh, going on. And you know, if uh, we can have any type of involvement, you know, just hit us up and let us know. Um, you know, it's definitely keep the lines of communication open. But um, thank you so much for taking this time out to talk to us, man. All right, well, I appreciate that, man. Hit me up. I'll be here if y'all need anything. Yeah, no doubt. All right, man. No doubt. Okay, you guys take care. You too. Peace. Peace. Well, this is another episode of the Channel 10 Podcast. Just had Joker the Bell Bondsman on the line. Gave us that history on Alaska hip-hop and everything that he has going on. Definitely interesting and insightful. Um, if you got anything out of it or even if somehow you didn't, um, make sure you rate, subscribe and comment on however you listen to this, whether it be iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher and support the podcast, channel10podcast.com. We out. Peace. 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 Feeling this here. Yeah, son, you feel it, man. What up, son? You got to do it, yo. Yo, what up, man? It's a different channel, son. What up? On, man. Hold up, watch the channel, son. Different plane now, man. It's all good. Hold up, all good, baby, in every hood, son. Hold up, yeah. CNN, Network Channel 10, it's on again. Street niggas, it's grown men. Bold face, get in your face. Stay in place, yo, crime lace. Cast more beef than Scarface. CNN, Network Channel 10, it's on again. Street niggas, it's grown men. Bold face, get in your face. Stay in place, yo, crime lace. Cast more beef.